Hey Moonshot listeners, it's Chris here. This week we were planning to bring you a new story about 3D printed organs, but unfortunately I've been sick this week, so couldn't actually voice the show. So we'll be bringing you that story next week on Moonshot. And this week I want to revisit another 3D printed story from our first season. So here's our story on 3D printed food, and I'll speak to you again next week. A 3D printing restaurant has set its sights on the world after an exclusive limited run in London. Imagine if computer ink could taste like food. Well, now it can because the 3D printed food revolution has arrived. 3D printing has taken the world by storm. We can print everything from the tiniest parts for a model robot to jet engines and even entire buildings. But one of the biggest revolutions in 3D printing is only just starting to take shape. And that's the idea of having 3D printed food. What could be better than delicious, creamy chocolate? How about a 3D printer that can gin up this sweet confection in any design you want? Yes, whether you want chocolate, biscuits or even a pizza, there's probably a printer out there that's ready to prepare a delicious meal just for your taste buds. We're told to be cautious of things that seem too good to be true, but pizza that can be 3D printed by a robot in less than five minutes is definitely an exception. Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring crazy ideas and the even crazier people who are making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson, and as we all know, technology is changing every part of our existence, whether it's the way we drive, the way we handle money, or even the way we interact with food. So join us as we explore the world of 3D printed food to see what's actually possible and when you might be able to print your own pizza or pasta at home. who actually owned a vegan bakery and she was starting to distribute outside of her country but it got very expensive not in terms of ingredients or labor costs but really packaging shipping transportation logistics so it became cost prohibitive to expand so we were thinking of ideas of how can you create mini food manufacturing facilities that are not full-blown because those are very expensive and when you think about it a 3d printer no matter what it prints is a mini manufacturing facility so that's where the idea was born Hi, my name is Lynette Kuzman. I'm one of the co-founders of Natural Machines, and we are the makers of Foodini, a 3D food printer that prints using fresh, real ingredients. When you look through your supermarkets, when you take a walk through, you see a lot of packaged and processed foods, and it, you can actually replicate a lot of those or make a lot of those with your own fresh ingredients at home, but the problem is, is we're time constrained. We don't have a lot of time to make our own foods. We used to have eight hours pre-industrial uh, revolution making our own foods, but nobody has that kind of time these days. So that's where it kind of came across. Well, we can do more than just you know help our friend with the vegan bakery. We can also help people in general get away from processed foods, rely on them much less, and get back in the kitchen and make those foods themselves. Natural Machines is based in Barcelona in Spain and are actually an alternative to many of the 3D printed food companies around. 
Unlike some of the competition that are just printing things like pizza or chocolate, Natural Machine's Fudini printer allows people to add their own natural ingredients to create a range of gourmet creations, all with a level of precision that would be impossible to achieve by hand. Well, we're printing all sorts of different foods, and I know when you hear about 3D printing food, it sounds like an odd concept. But if you think about it, you're practically eating 3D printed food if you eat anything from a food manufacturer. So what a food manufacturer does is they take food, they push it through machines, they shape it, and they form it. So we've taken that exact same concept and shrunk it down to a design kitchen appliance. But the big difference is we ship with empty stainless steel food capsules. So we allow you to use your own fresh, real ingredients. So the types of foods we print are all sorts because we're not limiting you to foods we produce or recipes we make. It's really a kitchen appliance that you can use your own ingredients with. So you, you see this in the same way as as like a blender or a microwave or, or something that you are going to have in your home and use on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's a different functionality, of course, uh, than a blender or microwave, um, but it's no different. It's like it's an automation tool in your kitchen. So if you think about if you use a food processor to chop up tomatoes, that's automating your knife skills, right? So you're automating chopping up tomatoes to do it faster and easier in a food processor. It's the same thing with Foodini. It's a kitchen tool that allows you to do certain things faster and easier. 3D food printers will become a common kitchen appliance, like a microwave or an oven is a common appliance in today's kitchen. Now, where we are today with that is slightly different. We're, we're targeting professional kitchen users only today, but the big roadmap and the big vision is that it will be a common kitchen appliance in all kitchens. What was the first thing that you printed? Oh, wow. The first thing. Well, the first thing we printed was more along the sweet line because we had that friend who had the vegan bakery, so some icings and cakes and those types of things or some little pastries. Um, but I think where we started turning it or shifting the company focus, not just focusing on that is because we're, we're based out of Barcelona, Spain. So they're Mediterranean diet, a lot of fresh ingredients, a lot of fresh foods, a lot of great chefs. So we're like, well, what else can we do? Because even if it's a vegan cake, it's, you know, you can't eat cakes every day. It's not the healthiest thing, <laughs> no matter if it's vegan or not. So we were like, what can we do to help people eat healthier? And from personal perspective, from people who work at natural machines, we all have our own views of what is a healthy diet? And we're all pretty relatively healthy eating, but that will vary from person to person on that definition. So actually having Foodini as the model works with where it has an open option where it's empty stainless steel food capsules, you put in your own ingredients, that accommodates for individual preferences. So we have a strong belief that food tech can't dictate what you should eat. We're not a nutritionist. We're not doctors. But we are enabling you to accommodate to your own diet and what a healthy diet means to you. Now, before we get too deep, it's important to get a picture of what's actually happening in this 3D printing process. So for that, I turn to Dr. Roman Bacco, a food engineer at Australia's CSIRO. The CSIRO spends a lot of time investigating the future of food manufacturing, exploring everything from the way crops are grown to lab-grown meats and even 3D printing. So 3D printing, or we tend to call it additive manufacturing, uh, is based um, on a technology where you effectively deposit a small amount of, uh, in, in, in case of food printing, you would deposit a small amount of uh, food ingredient 
and then fuse it to, to um, another deposit of food ingredient. Uh, so this technique allows you to, um, you know, build a food structure from from a very small scale up. So from a, a macro scale, uh, most of the times in, in more traditional food uh, manufacturing, you would start with a raw ingredient, which you mill down as well to a small um, uh, particle size. And then you use uh, things like uh, shearing and heating to naturally uh, fuse it together, but at a much larger scale, typically. Uh, so 3D printing gives the opportunity to really um, build a structure at a very uh, small uh, macro scale, which has benefits because you can create uh, not only nice shapes and forms, but you can um, uh, provide a structure which gives a particular sensory uh, sensation. So different flavors deposited next to each other or built on top of each other. So as you bite through, that 3D printed food, um, you uh, you know would experience uh, different flavors and different textures at a very small scale, which is very difficult to do at a large uh, traditional production scale. So, in terms of that, does that then mean that you you have food that tastes different that people will never have experienced before? Uh, yes, uh, you you can use this technology to create that uh, sensory sensation uh, that you, you know, I wouldn't go as far as uh, saying it's not possible without 3D printing, but it would be very difficult and obviously expensive uh, to do uh, without 3D printing. So 3D printing really is a a vehicle to uh, create these structures at affordable costs. Now, those costs at the moment are actually quite expensive, but they are coming down. Natural Machines 3D printer will set you back a cool 4,000 US dollars. However, it's important to remember that this is a machine targeted at professional chefs, and Lynette says that the price will be cheaper when they release a home version of the printer. And if Lynette's vision for this 3D printed food future becomes a reality, we will all have our own printers sitting in our kitchens ready to cook a healthy meal for us at any time. So I asked Lynette whether there were any particular foods that are best suited to the 3D printing process. Well, it's not the Star Trek replicator yet. It's not that you can do anything. So you can use a very wide range of ingredients. So there's not really a limit on that. I would say the limit at this point is more in the terms of textures. So there's a fallacy with 3D printing that people think that the textures have to be a baby food consistency or a slurry or you have to add gelling agents to print. And that's not true with the way we're doing it. So what we've done is we've uh, made different nozzle sizes. So basically the hole that the food extrudes through from the capsule. So that accommodates for different textures. So we can do very thin textures like a tomato sauce. But, uh, you know, with 3D printing, especially a food, you have to watch out for gravity. So will you be able to create a 3D sculpture out of tomato sauce? No, gravity will pull it down. But you can do a plate decoration or, you know, print on uh, one layer on top of something else. So, yeah, we, we can do all sorts of different types of textures. So it's a, we can do things like burgers with chunks of walnut and cranberry in it. We can do couscous without processing it. But what you cannot do is you cannot just stick a whole carrot into Foodini and print it. You would have to process that carrot to some extent. 
Okay, so say I want to make a pizza or I want to make ravioli. Like, what's the what's the process for me? As I come home, I decide I want I want ravioli for dinner. What do I do? So you'll have a couple options in the future because keep in mind today we're not targeting you necessarily as a home kitchen user. So the next version of Houdini will be for home kitchen use because we know we're missing one piece of functionality in today's device, which is targeted towards professional kitchen users that we know we have to implement to break into home kitchen users. And that is the capability to cook. So that means your methodology will be a bit different. But ideally, what will happen, and even today, what happens is if you want ravioli, you would go home and you would make your dough and you would make your filling. So the idea is to get you back to that home cooking of foods, right? So Foodini is not a food processor. So you would not put in a, a capsule of dough, a capsule of water, a capsule of fill. You know, you wouldn't do that. You would actually make the dough and that would be one capsule, for example. Now, in future scenarios, once we do get into home cooking and once we do get further out with what we're working on with a bunch of partners is... You could have many options as to how you want to make that ravioli. So you can either do it, as I just said, where you totally control everything. You make your dough, you make your filling. You would have options to go to, let's say, supermarkets or specialty food stores where you would have a range of different doughs and fillings that you can almost cherry pick from. So if you want a basil-infused base, you want a pumpkin filling, and you want a chili-infused top layer, you can actually choose those doughs and have it either in a capsule ready to print, or you can bring in your own capsules and have them refilled, similar to how you can do that with some supermarkets today. So we're very keen on lowering food waste, lowering packaging waste, and all these other things. So you will have different options in the future as to how you can actually print food, but you will always have that option to do it yourself and control the ingredients that go into it. So what we are not is we are not like the coffee makers out there that sell the coffee maker, but then sell the capsules of coffee that you must use with that coffee maker. We don't demand that people buy our pre-filled food capsules. We don't even have them. So we have empty stainless steel food capsules that you do your own fresh ingredients with that. And we'll continue looking at 3D printed food right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot. I'm Christopher Lawson, and before the break, we were exploring the world of 3D printed food to see just what's possible with the technology. And we know we can print all different types of food, although food like chocolate or pizza dough are a little easier. But one of the issues that has plagued the 3D printing industry has been the speed of the actual printers. Often 3D printing can take a lot of time, and that's something that the average consumer just does not have and Natural Machines is working on this problem because in the end, if you were to sell a food printer on the mass market, people won't want to spend three hours waiting for their dinner. So how long does it actually take to print yourself a meal? So people do ask, is 3D printing the fastest way to get food? And the answer to that is no, it is not. The fastest way to get food is to get, you know, that processed package of food from your supermarket and either rip open the package and eat it or rip open the package, heat it and eat it. That's the fastest way to get food. But what's happening now is there's macro trends where people are really looking at their food and they want to understand what ingredients are in it, where their food comes from, having more control over the ingredients in their food. So people are looking to get back into their kitchens. 
So what we do with Fudini is it is not a one print speed like you would typically find in plastic or metal printers. We actually optimize for the food you're printing. So we are also using artificial vision, artificial intelligence to actually watch what the print is doing and we can automatically adjust the print speed as necessary. So one of the big factors in the print speed is actually the food itself, the texture of the food uh, and the design that you're actually printing. So the more intricate it is, chances are the longer it's going to take. So as an example, we print pizza. So we can do a pizza dough, which is pretty much, you know, a round circle. That can go very fast because you're printing with a very big nozzle size with the dough. So it's a very fast print. But we've also done things like we printed a, a uh, head made out of butter, <laughs> which was for a client that wanted to have a group of strangers come together at a dinner party and wanted the conversation piece on the table to get, you know, to break the ice. And this did it. It got people talking. That particular print was a solid piece of butter, a couple inches high, and that took about two and a half, three hours to print because it was much more intricate and we had to use a much smaller nozzle size. So it really depends on the food you're using and the texture and the design. But you know, we, we do know at the end of the day that 3D food printing has to be fast. No one's going to wait hours for dinner, right? So when you're thinking about basic things like, let's say, square crackers, which are more two-dimensional than three-dimensional, but you can print them and it's much faster than doing it by hand, we can do crackers in 20 seconds. We can do ravioli in three minutes. We can do a personal-sized pizza in five minutes. So we are aware that food does have to be fast. That's actually quicker, potentially, than making some of those foods yourself, right? Like, you know, the process of making ravioli for, like, the, the average cook that's not a chef, that must be a quicker process than trying to figure it out in the kitchen. It definitely is. I mean, that's, that's part of the point of why we did what we're, what we're creating with Fudini. So, as an example, we printed gnocchi, you know, which is the, uh, the potato pasta, the little round balls. So, and we had somebody come back to us and said, well, why are you printing that? It, I can do it much faster than, you know, by hand. And I was like, maybe you can, if you're an expert gnocchi maker. <laughs> I was like, for me, I know I definitely cannot do it faster by hand. And so there are certain things that if you're an expert at things and that's your specialty, maybe it's faster for you. But if you don't make those things every day, like I have made homemade ravioli without Fudini by hand. And, you know, my dinners are always two to three hours late because it takes longer than I expect. You know, you have to have a clean work surface, which I have two kids. I never have a clean work surface. So first I have to clean before I cook. And it's just, you know, it takes forever. So as you can imagine, you know, we've, we've, when we printed our 3D printed pizza, we did that because a couple of years back, I don't know if you remember, NASA was actually putting out news where they 3D printed a pizza, you know, for use in space, what they're looking to do with that space. So, of course, everybody asked where our pizza was, so we printed it, and it was very good. But as you can imagine, we got some um, resistance from a certain country <laughs> that was not very happy that we printed a pizza. And they're like, why are you printing a pizza? It's so easy to make a pizza. Why are you trying to you know, put it into a robot and have it do a pizza? And our response to that is like, look, we're not looking to replace pizzerias. We're not looking to tell people to stop making it by hand. And if you can make pizza by hand great, please continue to do so. We're not telling you to do that otherwise. However, if pizza were so easy to make, then why when you go into a supermarket, is there practically an entire aisle dedicated to frozen pizzas, pre-made pizza crust, pre-made everything related to pizza? It's not that easy because we wouldn't have that demand for pre-made things if that were the case. So if you're not the expert pizza maker, then yes, Fudini can definitely do it in a faster and easier fashion. 
Now, it may not be the goal of natural machines to replace chefs or be your only home appliance, but that is the goal of many companies working in this space. And the idea of having a machine printing and preparing a meal actually got me thinking about our relationship with food. We're obsessed with celebrity chefs and you probably can't turn on your television or go online without having some kind of cooking program available for you to devour and enjoy and maybe try and replicate in your own home. But what happens when you take humans out of the equation entirely and let a machine prepare your entire meal? Will our relationship with food actually change? Yes, I think it already has changed uh, uh, quite significantly over the last uh, 50 years. This is Dr. Roman Bucco again. You know, with the introduction, for example, of the microwave, um, uh, many um, young people these days really don't know how to cook uh, food uh, made from uh, raw ingredients that they can buy in the supermarkets. Uh, we have moved uh, uh, into more convenience products, which are ready to eat or ready to heat. Um, a big time and, and uh, you know, I've seen modern apartment buildings in inner cities which don't really have a kitchen or an oven anymore, only a microwave and that's it. And the rest is delivered by Uber Eats or Deliveroo if, if the microwave doesn't or isn't able to do the job. I actually think it's going to get people more engaged and I have a couple proof points from that in my own household. So I have two kids under the age of 10 and they've been experienced with 3D food printing for the past five years basically. So um, they know about 3D food printing and it actually engages them more. So there's a story I always tell as I show this image of dinosaurs, that spinach quiche dinosaurs. And that story is very true where I made a spinach quiche for my kids a couple of years back and you know it's a, like a round pie. You can almost proposition it as a pie. Pie. Green was my son's favorite color at the time. So I was like, look, we're having green pie for dinner. And they weren't having any of it. And I finally convinced them to at least try it, you know, try a bite. So they tried it and they're like, no, we don't like it. So, okay, all that's fair. Not everybody likes every food. So maybe they didn't like it. But I, about a week or two later, I took the same exact recipe and I printed it in 3D printed dinosaurs that I show all the time. And my kids ate it up right away. You know, my dinosaurs became extinct very quickly, as I say. And that actually got my kids engaged in the food because I didn't just serve it to them. They came into the kitchen. We were inspired by my son's toy dinosaurs at the time. So we made a dinosaur visual, you know, that we were going to print. They were helping me make the spinach. So they knew how to put nutmeg in it. They knew how to make the dough. So they were actually engaging in their food. They knew what they were eating versus is what we do a lot now is you know we take something from a package and we just kind of throw it in the oven and heat it up or whatever and we're not really paying attention to what we're eating so 3d food printing can very well re-engage people so that you know what you're eating and you become more engaged with what you're putting in your mouth basically often we don't really uh, understand or know how uh, foods are made and or from what ingredients they are made also because the labeling obviously has changed uh, and there's more and more ingredients that are used these days that are not traditionally used uh, in our um, you know, grandmother's recipes. But the reason for that is mainly uh, costs, of course, but also um, the increasing demand for alternative uh, ingredients that are either you know, vegetarian friendly or free from gluten or free from dairy or uh, you know, with many, many drivers um, that have uh, resulted in the situation that we have at the moment. 
Just think about the last time that you hosted a dinner party or were a guest at one. Catering to everyone's individual needs is actually a huge problem. It takes an awful amount of time to make sure that everybody is satisfied. But what if your kitchen could cook all the right foods when you needed it? Does our food then become more personal? Yes, so at CSRO, we believe uh, that um, the future of food manufacturing is actually in the personalized food manufacturing on demand uh, and um, uh, 3D printing as one of the technologies that we look at is obviously a vehicle where you can create a very personalized food product that is suited to your personal needs and preferences uh, on demand and within a short time. But overall, the driver um, that we see certainly is that people want to have the experience and want not mass-produced food. They want foods that are tailored to their needs and likings. It is a challenge for the food industry, uh, as traditionally, uh, food industry is built on uh, at scale, so mass production, uh, same for everyone. Uh, but uh, obviously, we are all uh, different uh, in individuals, and we all have our individual nutritional needs and preferences. So as we've seen in many other sectors, like electronics sector and so on, uh, also food will go down that path, most likely, where... People can choose what they eat, when they eat, and you know maybe what social and environmental impact the food that we eat uh, is going to have. Well, there will be different levels of automation in the future, and there is definitely a customization aspect to 3D food printing. So one of the things that we see with the future of 3D food printing is you will have those capabilities to control your specific nutrients that you're printing in food. So as an example, our wearables are getting smarter. So in the future, if your wearable knows you went for a 5K run this morning, but maybe it was cloudy, so you didn't get enough vitamin D, or maybe you just need more iron in your diet in general, you can actually print out a breakfast bar after your run that's customized for you. So it can up those levels of iron, it can up those levels of vitamin D, And then whoever else is in your household can get a breakfast bar customized for them. You can even do a lot of things with the data that are quite fun. So you can 3D print a dessert that stops printing once it hits 200 calories, for example, and using, you know, artificial intelligence and artificial visions. You wouldn't just get, let's say you're printing a heart in chocolate. You wouldn't just get a half a heart because that's your 200 calorie limit. It will actually scale the print up or down. So you're actually getting a full print, you know, and being intelligent that way. So we do see that there's all these data silos that exist today. So you have data from your wearables, you have data from your nutrition apps, you have data from, you know, wherever, you know, your RunKeeper app or whatever, but they're not really talking to each other to optimize how we can actually use that data to help ourselves in the future. So we do see that coming together and Foodini is also part of that, if you will, because we're not just a 3D food printer. We're also an internet of things connected kitchen appliance as well. So we can utilize that data to help you make those decisions. You know, people do ask about our future of food, you know, will it become pills or become powders? Will it become, you know, all these like weird kind of things? But again, we're based out of Barcelona, Spain. We like food. We like real food. You know, we're like following those trends where, you know, we sit, we go out for lunch and we have a conversation. It's not just, you know, feeding yourself, so to speak. It's more than that. Food is more than that. So we don't see this future, you know, where you totally lose control or you're just like blocking out whatever you're eating and not really focusing on it. So the way we set Foodini up and how we're looking at it with the future is that you will always have that control. So 
you know, there's a lot of talk about data right now and data security and how much do you share versus how much, you know, your application is worth. And that needs to remain in your hands. So if you choose to share more data with devices and services, you should be getting more out of those data and services. So if I know that your wearable um, says you need more vitamin D, then you can have Foodini print out that breakfast bar with vitamin D. But if you don't share that data, you can't optimize that service. But that decision should always remain in your hands. And that's something we're also very aware of. Okay, so say that you want to embrace this future of 3D printed food technology. You want to get a food printer to put in your house. When can you actually get one at a price that doesn't break the budget? You know, so we're saying 10 to 15 years to put that in perspective. When microwaves came out uh, for consumer use, they were in use earlier for professionals, but for consumer use, they came out in the early 70s and it took about 30 years to get to that 90% household market penetration in home kitchen users. So we're pretty much having that estimate because we're a much more tech savvy audience. We get to share information a lot faster these days. So you can become more knowledgeable and educated on things a lot faster. So, but it does take time for people to you know, where you go out to a restaurant and you eat 3D printed food and it becomes a perfectly normal thing to you uh, before you're comfortable enough to get that in your own household and see the benefits to that in your own household. We do have 3D food printers in restaurants. Sometimes you'll know you're eating 3D printed food because they're using it as a marketing tactic or they're using it as a visual or they'll do it what they call in front of house. So that's where the customer can see the printer actually working. So maybe you can see your dish being printed before your eyes. We have other restaurants that use it purely back of house. So to them, it's no different than any of their other kitchen appliances. So why would they show that, you know, or why would they mention that on the menu? Like if you go to a top end restaurant, they don't say, oh, we grilled the steak and we steamed the vegetables. You know, they don't tell you necessarily how they made it all the time or what kitchen appliance they use. They just create this great dish. So Fudini is part of their kitchen arsenal now. So you may very well be eating 3D printed food, and simply not know it. If you love Moonshot, then make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get podcasts. We're now on Spotify, Google Play Music, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and also Podcast Republic. So subscribe and share the show with all your friends. It's really the best way of helping us build our audience. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media, and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Andrew Millist designed our amazing cover artwork and Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme track. You can find out more about the show by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. And if you've got an idea for a moonshot that you'd love us to explore, just head across to our website, moonshot.audio and send us a message. Join us again next time on Moonshot as we explore more ideas that are really shaping our future.